We're continuing our study in the book of Acts, and we've been seeing how Jesus has empowered his disciples to spread his work. The book of Acts is the only book in the Bible that is still continuing on and on to this day. It's not a closed book because it's the Acts of the apostles. It's the acts of the church, what God, the Holy spirit is doing and his people. And this is something that's not ended yet. It's still going on today. And it began as Jesus came into this world, a humble man, fully human, fully God. And then dwelt amongst his disciples and taught them of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And as he fellowshiped with them, they grew and they learned and understood more about Jesus, about who he was, about God, their father in heaven. And they witnessed Jesus crucified and they witnessed his resurrection. And Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem and to dwell there until the Holy Spirit came upon them And then from there, they would go out to the Judea, Samaria, and the outer regions of the world. And as the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost, they began to speak in tongues. And there was these uh, images of fire above these men as they began speaking in tongues. And people were able to understand one another. And the Holy Spirit was empowering them. And then these men were then added to the church and the church grew and it was founded on the apostles doctrine. That's the study of the word of God. It was founded on fellowship on actually meeting together with your brothers and sisters in the Lord on the breaking of bread and on prayer. Those four uh, foundations of ministry of church ministry, of what each believer needs in his life. We all need to be in our word. We all need to have fellowship with Christians because we can get off. There's always that possibility that you're wrong. And when you have somebody else telling you in your life with love, telling you, hey, you need to read the Bible. You need to see what God's word says. We need that in our life. And we need to eat, right? That's one of my favorite parts of the breaking of bread. And it was that communion of remembering what Jesus Christ did. And then also, too, the prayer. We need to have prayer in our lives. You see, our relationship with God, it's founded on the reading of the word and on prayer. And so now that these men had started this church, Peter and John, these two disciples, we're going to watch what happens to them as they head over to temple in Acts chapter 3. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Notice this. Peter and John good close buddies now, disciples of the Lord, go 
growing up together. They're already having that fellowship, remember. Just baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they're going at the hour of prayer, going to temple. You see, the Jews, they took prayer very seriously. According to Jewish religion, they were to pray three times daily. And they were steadfast at this. And it's something that they still to this day take seriously. Where you, you'll go and you'll see them where, where they're at. They'll spend some time in prayer. Those who are of the religious sect. And it's something that we should take seriously. But not to make it into a, a religious thing where we're doing it out of obligation. But to pray without ceasing where you are just constantly in a state of communication with Jesus, with God, with your Lord. And as you are praying, he's going to lead you, guide you, and it also keeps you at peace with a sound mind. When situations come across your way and you say, God, just help me with this guy who's cutting me off on the freeway or help me not to get mad at the person wearing the mask or not wearing the mask, whatever it is, you know, if you talk to God and you're in constant communication with him, he's going to bring in that peace of God. And that's what we need in our life. So they're now going to the temple at the hour of prayer. And it says in verse 2, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Let's stop right here. So this certain lame man, from his mother's womb, it says, that's a long time. That word for lame, it's powerless, weak, no strength. And it's, this is from birth. You see, sometimes we, we come across trials or we come across burdens that we face with. And we feel like, man, we've been in this for a long time. I've been in this trial for a long time. Well, that's how this guy felt. You look at him being lame from his mother's womb. It's a long time. And he's there at this gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask and beg for alms. That's just, he wants to beg for money to help make a living so he can probably get some food for himself. It says in verse three, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John and Peter said, look at us. So imagine you see John and Peter walking up to the temple. They're, they're about to go to church. They're about to go worship the Lord. And you see this very grand Solomon's temple. Remember, David, he wanted to build the temple for the Lord. But God said, no, David, you can't. You're a man of blood, so your son's going to build it. So Solomon ended up building this magnificent, beautiful temple 
for the Lord to be worshipped in. And here now, as they're approaching this, this temple, right next to what seems so grand and beautiful, you have poverty. And I'm reminded that that's such a rare sight. I'm sorry, not a rare sight. Such a frequent sight um, that, I, that I see when I work in L.A., uh, sometimes you have these huge buildings and skyscrapers and really fancy hotels. And right next to these hotels there on the, in the streets, you have these slums and you have poverty. And uh, a lot of times poverty goes unnoticed uh, by many people. And in this situation here, perhaps figuring that he was about to be unnoticed, this lame man was begging for money, but he wasn't even looking at them because Peter has to tell him, look at us. So he was probably waving his hand out or something, not expecting anything to come from him or to come for him. And Peter tells him, look at us to get his attention. Sometimes we're like that, lame man. Sometimes we are just broke, spiritually broke. And we're not even expecting that God our Father is able to restore us or is able to fill us and bring that peace in our hearts and our minds. We're not even looking for it. Sometimes people get too focused on the material things in life where they're thinking that what they need or what they want is really what they need. This man, he's just wanting some money so he can maybe get food. But Peter and John, they're about to give him something that's going to change his whole life better than just food for their day. Sometimes we get our eyes fixed on the wrong objects. Peter and John might have been tempted to look at the beauty of the temple rather than the beggar man. Remember Jesus told Peter and John, he said, you guys marvel at this temple. I'm telling you that there's going to be a day when not one stone is going to be laid upon another. They're going to be thrown off. And he was prophesying of the Romans that would come in and destroy the temple. AD 70. I also remember how Jesus taught his disciples. You keep hearing people say the temple of the Lord to the temple of the Lord. And he says the temple of the Lord are these. And he's pointing to his people. Where we are his temple. Our bodies. So what we do with our bodies is important. It's important what we allow to go into our bodies, what kind of health that we take care of our bodies with. You see, the enemy wants to even attack our bodies because this is our instrument on which we worship the Lord, on which we use to do God's work. So we should take care of the temple's which the Holy Spirit dwells in our body. 
and not put a higher emphasis on the material things. I remember the, the, the story of Chuck Smith when he started opening up Calvary chapels and all the hippies started going to his church and they wouldn't wear feet, uh, feet. they wouldn't wear shoes and they would walk into the, the church service and uh, some of the people who were a little more orthodox started to, to come to Chuck Smith and be like, hey, um, all these like hippies, like they don't, they don't shower, they don't like put deodorant on and they're not, wear- they're dirtying the carpet because they don't wear shoes. And he said, oh, they're dirtying the carpet? And they're like, yeah, like, dude, what do we do? And he's like, rip out the carpet. And it was kind of like, a, oh, okay. <laughs> he really wants them there. And the, the message behind it was like, we're not going to put the material of this church above the souls of these hippies who are getting saved here. And that should be our heart, is that it, the soul is more important than the material. So Peter and John realized this in the lame man. And they told him, look at us. And then in verse five, so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What a powerful statement. This lame man, he finally looks at these men. And now he's expecting to, re- to receive that, that money that he was asking alms for. And Peter tells him, look, I don't have money. But what I have, I'm going to give you. You see, what this lame beggar was expecting was something that was going to solve his minor issue, which was just he needed food for the day. He just needed some money. And what John and Peter realized that they can give him was something so much more powerful, salvation. But I love how Peter says this. He says, look, I don't have money. You see, you can't give someone something that you don't have. Sometimes in our Christian walks, we come across different situations where, you know, we think that we need to give people exactly what they're asking for in order to meet their need. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Sometimes we think that we need to give people exactly what they're asking for in order to meet their need. But that's not always the case. You sometimes actually might be doing damage on a person's maturity when you're always there on their every fall. Sometimes God wants to take people through that maturing process. And sometimes we have to allow the Lord to do that. In other cases, sometimes God calls you to talk to someone. Sometimes you're out and about getting groceries or whatnot. And God puts it in your heart, hey, I want you to go go talk to this person. 
or you see somebody who's in need and God's just like, hey, like, why don't you go help them out? They need some money for, for gas and tell them about me. Share them. Share me to them. And sometimes we get scared and we're like, well, I, I don't know. How, I'm not an evangelist. I don't, I don't know apologetics. I don't know how to debate about faith and God. And you know what? God's not asking you to give them what you don't have. God just wants you to give them what you do have. And what do you have? You have the name of Jesus. You have what he did in your life. You have your testimony. You have the simple message of the gospel. See, there is power here in the name of Jesus. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's what he says right here, that there's power in his name. Power to do the impossible. In simply the name of Jesus. We need that power. Sometimes we think it's it's so complicated the this trials that we're in of the what the solution is gonna be. But it's simply getting back to being submissive to Jesus and asking him to take control of the situation, of surrendering to him in it. In verse seven, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaping up stood and walked and entering the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Wow. So you see what this miracle did for this man? This man who was completely just downcast from the time that he was born to this moment, who thought this is impossible. What this man is asking me to do is to get up and rise. Like, how am I supposed to do that? I've never gotten up and walked anywhere. And the man, he didn't begin to argue with Peter about telling him, well, Peter, like, you don't understand, sir. I've never walked my whole life. No, he didn't. And he simply had faith and believed. And why? Why is it that this beggar man just simply believed in the name of Jesus? Because it's the name of Jesus. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. You see, when Jesus calls people, the reason why they're just cast everything away and follow after Jesus wholeheartedly is not because of any other reason than that it's Jesus who's calling them because Jesus is the God. He's the God man. And that name had power in it. So this man had faith. He stood up, begins walking, leaping from zero to a hundred and praising God. And that 
is where this blessing that this man experienced is now turned towards. It's turned to praise, to praise God. May our blessings be turned into praise towards God. When we get that uh, return, tax return every year, may that be turned into praise towards God. When God blesses us with a, a new relationship, may that relationship be used to bless the Lord. When God blesses you with a job, may it be used to bless the Lord. Let your blessings be turned into praise towards God. And all the people saw him doing this. And then in verse 10, then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wow. Imagine that. You just see this guy who you've always seen at this temple. And now you're just amazed and filled with wonder. But now you're looking at who is this God that John and Peter are preaching about, that they're talking about. Look at verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's. Greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. The God of our father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Let's pause for a moment here. Notice what the people do right away. As once they see this lame man healed, some of them begin to look at John and, and Peter as, as if they were God themselves. And they correct them. They say, why do you look so intently at us? We didn't do this. You see, that's one of the failures of, of mankind is people will always seek to idolize each other rather than worship God. And it happens even in church where sometimes people get carried away in their idolizing towards a man or even a woman. And their focus then gets off of God. And then when that man fails, because all men fail, some more than others. But when that man fails, all of a sudden that person loses faith in God because the man failed. But it wasn't God who failed. You see, we need to keep our eyes on God, not on man. Man is always going to fail. 
So may we worship God and not idolize each other. So Peter, now he begins to give one of these amazing sermons that he likes to give. We just saw how he did that in uh, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. Peter's a great uh, evangelist here. But look at his sermon, how he gives them the gospel. And it's filled with quite a heavy rebuke. He reminds them that they delivered up Jesus. They denied him in the presence of Pilate. And then verse 14, that they denied the Holy One and the just. And something I'm reminded of is that the Bible teaches that we can deny the Holy One, that we are given free will. Because we are given free will, we have a choice to make. God gives us the ability to choose him or to not choose him. And at this time, they had denied the Holy One and they killed the Prince of Life. And that's a beautiful name, the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead of which they were all witnesses. Look at verse 16. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So now he kind of gives us this spiritual formula. You see, what did it that healed this man? It wasn't John. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't how many good things that they had done in church that was the ability to heal this man. It was the name of Jesus through faith in Jesus. So it was both. It was the name of Jesus through faith in Jesus. And that equals power. And when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. We pray according to his will. We ask God, God, we we pray this in your will, according to your will. Because sometimes we could be praying for the wrong thing. And if he does not will it, then he's either going to correct our hearts or going to change our situation and lead us and guide us. Sometimes we're thinking we need to go left and right, but he just wants us to stay put because he has a different solution coming on its way. So that's why we pray in the name of Jesus. There's power in it. Look at verse 17. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Remember when Jesus was on the cross? He looked up to heaven and asked, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They didn't realize that Jesus was who he said he was. They didn't realize because of their own blindness. But I love how Jesus was forgiving them. 
seeking to forgive them. Verse 18, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Wow. You see, God's word never comes back void. God's word is always true. Throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it points to Jesus. So when these Jews, during their time, they had just the Old Testament, the prophets, and the scriptures, all those prophecies concerning the Messiah and what he was to do, they prophesied of how the Messiah was going to come here, be born of a virgin, and then be turned into this man of sorrows, the way he would die on the cross brutally. It foretold of all these things of Jesus. There's over 300 prophecies concerning Jesus, the Messiah. Now, you guys remember on the road to Emmaus, there was these two disciples walking along after Jesus was crucified and they were sad and they they didn't know that Jesus had resurrected yet. And they're walking along the way and suddenly Jesus appears to them incognito though, in disguise. And they don't realize it's him and he begins to walk alongside of them and he asks them, why are you guys so sad? And they're like, well, where have you been? Like, don't you realize that this great man was just killed recently? This man who we thought was going to bring the kingdom age to this world for the Jews was murdered and he was a godly man. He was, we thought he was the Messiah. And Jesus begins to explain to them, well, wait, wasn't the Messiah supposed to be crucified according to the scripture? And then Jesus begins to give them this Bible study from Genesis all the way up to where they were in that time and telling them, reminding them of all those prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah, what he was to do here on this earth. And then they go, uh, they're walking along and he seems like he was going to keep going and they're already home. And he's like, they're like, Hey, why don't you stay the night with us? Like you've, you've showed us so much. And he's like, okay, well I'll, I'll go in and eat with you guys. So he goes in and they start breaking bread. And once they, he blesses the bread, breaks it all of a sudden and their eyes are opened and they realize that this is Jesus who is with them. And then that moment he vanishes and they're like, didn't it burn in our hearts? when he expounded the scriptures to us. And that's what the word of God does, does for us. It fills us with that spiritual life. It burns in us. When the prophet Jeremiah said, you know what, God, I'm not gonna preach your name anymore and I'm not gonna speak your word anymore. And he shut himself away from the Lord. He says, but your words burned in my heart like a fire and I couldn't hold my tongue. That's what the word of God does to the believer. The more it goes in your heart, it just burns like a fire. And that believer should let it release. Verse 17. 
I'm sorry, verse 18. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Wow, repent. That's a word a lot of Christians don't like. Because sometimes we think that we're good. We don't need to repent anymore. We're already saved, right? No, there's still a lot of work that we need to grow in. A lot of chipping away at this old flesh that's in us. I will never be perfect till we're in heaven. So don't be condemned. But just look at the hope that Christ has for us. That he allows us repentance in our life. And be converted. To be convinced. To be, have faith that God, that Jesus is life, is our salvation. So that our sins can be blotted out. Now, in the New Testament, this is referring to a removal of the sin in our life. Whereas in the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices that these Jews would have was only a covering of our sin. But the blood of Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb, was a removal of our sins. Where we don't have to feel condemned. And we can freely enter into the presence of the Holy Spirit now, the presence of our Father. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, it says in verse 19. Do you long for refreshing? Spiritual refreshment? And how does that refreshment come? from the presence of the Lord. If you feel spiritually dry, the refreshment comes simply by being in God's presence, by being in our word, by being in prayer, in fellowship, in church. If you want to feel fulfilled in your life, it comes from the presence of the Lord the name of Jesus. You see, when you are fulfilled with God, he's going to allow you to then do his will, which actually is specifically designed for your life. Sometimes we try to create our our own way and we're trying to fulfill life in our own means and terms and it it's as if let's say God had gifted me to uh, just say for example um, play the keyboard really well but I really wanted to play the drums and then I would try to play the drums and I would get frustrated every time I would pick up the sticks and I would be offbeat and off tempo and I would just get really mad but I would be like I really want to learn how to play the drums 
And then finally one day somebody puts a keyboard in front of me and it's like, hey, like, try this out. And then I realized like, wow, I really like the way this sounds. This is so much cooler. I feel like more connected and joyful. Like this is what I'm made for. This is what I was meant to do. Well, that's what people do in their lives. Sometimes you're trying so hard to fit into a mold that you weren't created for. But when you align yourself with God's will, you begin to realize that, man, this is exactly what gives me the most peace, what gives me the most fulfillment. Purpose. And aren't we all looking for that purpose in our life? It comes from the presence of the Lord. Verse 20. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So now this is referring to when Jesus returns. This is referring to something that has not happened yet. This is the second coming of God already being taught here in the early first church of Acts that Jesus was going to come back to do what? Restore all things. Right now, what I see is that the world is trying to restore things on its own and it can't. Jesus needs to restore all things. The closest that the world is going to get to restoring all things is going to be the one world government, which is talked about in Revelation, which the Antichrist is going to bring in but it's going to be fake and it's going to be temporary. And then Jesus is going to come in and he's going to truly be done with evil and he is going to restore all things. And this was spoken of since the world began. Now verse 22. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from the people, from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You see, to this day, the Jews are still actually waiting for their Messiah to come because they don't recognize Jesus Christ as being God. They don't recognize him as being the Messiah. So they're still waiting for someone who's going to be like Moses to come to bring peace and unity to the world. And the scary thing about that is that Revelation teaches us that that's what the Antichrist is going to do. So for the first three and a half years of tribulation, the Jews are going to be following the Antichrist until he creates the abomination of desolation in the temple. And their eyes are open and they realize that this man is not their Messiah. And then they're going to be converted to God. And Jesus, God, is going to protect them. Maybe I'm getting too deep in Revelation right now, but uh, extra credit for those of you who go look up those uh, chapters in Revelation. 
Now, in verse 25, you are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Wow. You see, salvation was first for the Jews. For they are the chosen people of God. And God chose them, Jesus himself being a Jew, was to be an example to the whole world. Now, the Jewish nation as a whole, they, they failed at this. So then the Holy Spirit spread out and came to the Gentiles. That's anyone who's not a Jew, including myself. And praise God that the Holy Spirit, it's, he doesn't look at race as something that is going to hinder someone from salvation. But the Holy Spirit is for all people, for all who would seek after Jesus, for all who would repent and be converted and have that refreshing in the presence of the Lord. And that's available for all of us. So Christian listener today, if you are in need of that refreshing, like the lame man who was there desperately begging for what he thought he needed, but God wanted to give him what he truly needed. May you join me in prayer this morning, this afternoon, and ask God to bring that presence of the Lord that we can be refreshed in him, that we can set our attention back on Jesus, on being in his presence, on having that faith that there's power in his name over every trial and circumstance that comes our way. Whether we've been in the season for a long time, as long as you've been born, I've grown up this way. There's no way I can change. There's power in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity, Lord God, to hear from you. I pray, Lord, and ask that you would just bless this time, Father. For those who are listening now, Lord God, who need that refreshment from you, May your Holy Spirit give it to them. Would you put a a longing, Father, to be in your presence? Times of, of reading the Bible, times of prayer, times of fellowship and breaking of bread. I pray you would open doors of opportunity for people to do that. That you would lead and guide us into that ultimate will that you have for us. May we be converted, Lord God. If there's anyone out there who wants to make that dedication to Jesus Christ, just repeat this prayer after me. And by doing this, what you're saying is you're saying, I don't want to be in this sin anymore. I want to be dedicated to you, Jesus. That's what you're saying with this prayer. And Jesus will help you to do this. So repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner. 
Forgive me of my sins. I confess Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Use me. Guide me. I love you, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all worship. If you uh, want to reach out to us, um, go ahead and message us. Send me a text message. Um, you can message us on Facebook, YouTube, however you would like. And uh, we'd love to talk with you and pray with you. So let's end with a song.